You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Welcome to this episode of Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ionello, and today's guest I'm super excited about. His name is Ryan Beals. He's a certified public accountant specializing in small business taxes and bookkeeping. After working in corporate and public accounting for nearly a decade, he left his firm to start a virtual CPA practice focusing on entrepreneurs and small businesses. Ryan, an entrepreneur himself, is passionate about helping others achieve their goals in business. And as someone who is new in business and not a numbers person, I'm so grateful that you're on to kind of share us some of those really tangible, like nitty gritty pieces that are so detrimental for a business to do well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited to be on here. What an intro. Thank you. Yeah, I agree that a lot of people want to be an entrepreneur and they just think, oh, I'll just go and do the task, but they don't think about some of the more intricate details about the numbers and hopefully we can shed some light on that. So people have the information or they have the passion and then, well, now you have the tools and boom, let's hit the ground running, let's run through some walls. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Ideas are wonderful, but sometimes for me specifically, other people say like, I'm up in the air, I'm up in the clouds. Like I have all these big ideas and want to do all these big things. But sometimes people got to pull me down and be like, but is this actually feasible? Do we have the money for this? Do we have the capital? Does it make sense? And so, yeah, I think some people need some reeling back in certain scenarios. So I'm hoping you can kind of help us with that too, is like what's feasible and what's not, even from a place of maybe like something that others would call irresponsible from a financial perspective. Oh, Absolutely. You know, and I've heard some other podcasts that you had in the previous catalog and talking about the difference between being reckless and taking a risk and hopefully defining what is the difference between being reckless and what is more of a risk and the, the revolving door of the person that I just got done listening to as well, as far as like, what is going too far? Can you come back? And, and all that is important as well. Yeah. So before we get into like the nitty gritty details about accounting, all those myths, right? What people can expect when they're in business. Can you kind of give us a backstory about like how you fell into accounting and how after a 10 year career, why you said like basically fuck it and you quit and you're starting your own thing now, right? You're a corporate quitter. So what's the story? I found accounting pretty much by accident. I didn't really know what accounting was when I first got into college, had a major trying to get through college. My first couple of majors were I wanted to be a physical therapist, maybe an engineer. I went to a special school to hopefully get into the program. And I was majoring in kinesiology. And if you're familiar, that's not the best idea. Oh, that's so cool. My dad does kinesiology. Oh, does he? Okay. So you're familiar. I first started in kinesiology with the goals of wanting to eventually be a physical therapist. And then I made it through and it just, it wasn't for me. I was having a hard time with some of the classes and I actually fell asleep in one of the classes and like I woke up and everyone had moved out and the teacher was like, Hey, it's time to go. So I'm like, okay, so it's time to figure out something else. And I'm, I don't know what else to do because this, this was my plan the entire time. So I take this test, I go to whatever counselor's office and they give you this, you know, hundred tests about, would you rather do this? Would you like to build Legos? Would you rather talk to someone about this financial plan? You know, all these kind of things, trying to figure out like what you're good at, what you're interested in. And (laughs) the results to that test, like the number one thing that it said I should do was like waste management. (laughs) And I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to be a garbage man. What what am I doing with my life? You know, and it's thinking like, oh, no. So went back home and it went to the small D2 college and I'll, I'll do management and that'll be something universally good. If I get a degree in management, that's something that no matter what, it'll be something excellent to put on the resume. And in those basic classes, you got to take marketing, you got to take information systems, and you also got to take accounting. 
I took accounting that first year and it was something that I really fell in love with. I was very good at it when everyone else was struggling and there's accounting to me is, is kind of beautiful in a way. And there's a lot of yin and a yang. And people like to say that, oh, you must be good at math to do accounting, but it's more like a big Sudoku puzzle in that, yeah, there's numbers, but every number has its place. And that's what accounting is, is putting the numbers in the places. That's very eloquently put. <laughs> I've never heard of it like that. Yeah. And most people wouldn't see like behind the scenes, but there really is like every action is reaction and debits and credits. So there's a lot of that. And then as far as like getting into the entrepreneurial part, I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. Probably should have known because my favorite game growing up was Monopoly Junior. I think I'm the only person who's that was their favorite game. You know, when you're playing sports and you always got to sell these candies and whatever for you're like a dollar a piece. Well, I had no problem going door to door selling these candies. And I even sold them for my brother when he had the same thing, like he had to sell this box of candies. I would take the box of candies for him and go around and selling them. So always had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. And then as far as accounting goes, always trying to find a way to connect the numbers part and the people part. I've always been a people person, but accounting definitely has that reputation of being in the numbers and you're by yourself in this cubicle. And, and there are a lot of jobs like that in accounting. Tax is a really good way to be in the numbers, but also be talking to the people and be making a difference and having something that's more fulfilling. So when it got to the point and then the pandemic and there was some things that were happening with pay, and this is something that I'd already been very strongly considering and I've been talking to my wife about it. And then once we go through all the things, the pandemic and you don't have to go into details about what happened with the job, but it was like, okay, you're definitely not making it hard at this point. So I'm getting all these signs. It's time. Let's, let's do it. And here we are. Wow. Yeah. It's funny how like you have the thought of leaving and then you almost have like evidence that keeps creeping up of like, it's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go. And like, luckily it seems like you came to a point where you made the decision before like life rocked you a bit. Cause right. You have people who like, they wait on that moment and then they get into a car accident or they have this illness or something happens that shakes them, that forces them to change. Whereas you saw the sign and you said, okay, it's time. Let's do this. Yeah, absolutely. And it was one of those things where, you know, like I'd already had it in my back of my mind. Like I was already starting to get the plans, but it was like, all right, I definitely don't want to have this job anymore. So I'm either going to do it by myself or I'm going to go to a different firm and be in the same possibility. So I need to at least try this today. And if I don't do this now, I might not have this chance again. And then, you know, I'm going to be sitting at the end of my life think like, what did you do? You had this opportunity, but at least I can say I tried. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly why I did this too. I'm like, when else are we going to have the opportunity when we're in a pandemic and the world is changing? It's changing so drastically. What's the harm of two years of pain or suffering of trying something on your own for like 40 years, possibly of an amazing career that you built for yourself versus sitting at a desk that you hate, you know? Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. I'd rather know today and fail. And I mean, hopefully it doesn't. And I, things are going very well now. So hopefully it doesn't. But even if it does, I can always say, well, I tried. So this is, I know the alternative and I can at least be able to go back to the job and say, maybe this is the, the greener pasture. I just didn't realize it, but now I do, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you're positive about it and things are going well so far. So can you maybe get into some myths around accounting? Like, right, there's like the typical of like, it's super complex. Like, I don't understand it. It takes someone who's really, really smart. And, you know, you kind of debunked that before about saying it's not really that you're good at math. It's just like understanding the puzzle out of the whole picture. But can you get into that a bit? Yeah. So the first one definitely would be you have to be good at math to do accounting. Yeah, there is some numbers in it, but 
like I said earlier with the Sudoku example, yeah, there's numbers involved, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's math in there. They're just more like placeholders more than anything. So most of the math these days, like the actual like getting into the calculations is done by the tax software or it's done by whatever software or it's keeping track somehow behind the scenes and your hand is really being held very much by whatever software. If you're not the best at math, if you failed algebra three times in a row, don't worry. You're going to be just me. fine. <laughs> <laughs> it took me like three times to pass my algebra two uh, regents exam. It was a nightmare. Exactly. There are no bell curves in accounting. <laughs> so what else is there about accounting that seems to be like, I don't know, maybe necessarily a myth, but like how detrimental is it when you first start a business? Like, because there are people like, even for myself, right? I just said, okay, I have this idea. I'm going to run with it. How far down the line do I need to get really, really, really serious when it comes to like budgeting and stuff? Right. So when you're talking about accounting and when you're first starting and when to get professional help, I would say early on, it's very easy and very cost effective. And that's one thing that I think people don't realize is how inexpensive it is. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can get accounting software for about $12 a month. Like QuickBooks? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the basic stuff where it's keeping track of your expenses. It connects to your bank account. And at the end of the year or whatever, it gives you some financials. But it also does some other things like tracks your mileage, your business mileage, which is for a lot of entrepreneurs is a big deal. That could be one of your biggest expenses. As far as when to get from point A where you're just starting out and you're probably bootstrapping it and you're trying to save the money, at that point, it's very easy to keep track of it yourself. You probably don't have a ton of transactions. So at that point, just having like the basic software, even something like Excel is a great way you can do the same kind of keeping track of the expenses, income expenses in Excel. I actually have a template on my website. If you go to the bottom, you put in your name and your email address, and I send you a template. So you can use Excel in that way too. The point to get to where you need professional help I joke that it's more money, more problems. And and that definitely rings true with accounting. So there's a point where it is a full-time job. And when it gets to the point where it's keeping you from going out there and doing your job and making the money, that's when you really need to ask yourself, like, am I doing a disservice by doing this myself? Am I actually losing money by doing it myself now? If that's you, if accounting is keeping you from making money, then it's time to go talk to someone and get some help and take a load off your schedule so you can get back to doing what you do best. Yeah. I always recommend to people basically to do that, like to hire the expert because you'll end up spending less money in the long run than you would trying to do it all yourself, especially if you're not skilled. Like in my case, I suck at math. So like I probably wouldn't do that, but I'm also, you know, just starting. So it definitely depends. So another thing, can you kind of talk about, now that we talked about budgeting and just accounting in general, like you transition out, now you have your own business. Like what are some of the budgeting things that people need to do or take into perspective when they're transitioning out of corporate? Because right, I think transitioning out of corporate is one thing and then running your business is a whole nother thing because when you go from a salary job where you get paid every single Friday or every two weeks, it's one thing than when you're taking in random income from a business. Exactly. And budgeting before And budgeting once your business is running are going to look completely different, but the benefits are very similar. So when you are just getting the ideas of, is it time for me to leave? And you're getting serious and you're starting to make that transition, you need to realize, and and it's going to be different from people to people. So if you were to just leave your job, you got to realize that if you have bills to pay and you have a mortgage and whatnot, then it might be different from someone that might still be living with their parents and 
they can go much longer without having a paycheck. So you need to really consider that. So a few things you need to know what your monthly expenses are. If you haven't written it down yet, you really need to put it down on paper and see how much can I spend at a minimum and still get by and not really get into some trouble, especially if you're in a mortgage or like I said earlier, so that, you know, you're not getting into default on any of your loans or you're not losing your car. So that's very important. You need to make sure that that's all taken care of. And you also need, like I said before, you need to make sure that you need to see how long you can go without getting paid. So that means building up some sort of reserves, making sure that the job is going before you start. So if you're the analogy is bringing the boat closer before you jump, making sure that the boat is operating at that point. You know, make sure that if you did leave, is this going to be able to generate the income? You also need to make sure that this idea is something that's actually viable. So I have a great story from college when you're talking about budgeting and making a business plan. There's this angel investing group that came to my college and the people from the hometown go and pitch this idea. It's kind of like Shark Tank, but you get funding. They don't, you're trying to get their business rolling. So this company came and they had a really good idea. They're going to sell jeans. It's like the small rural town. So everyone needs jeans, right? So they went through the angel investing. They won the prize. And then they got to the point to where they're saying like, okay, Let's actually run the numbers to see how many genes we'd have to sell to make a profit. And the number ended up being like some absurd number. Like they had to sell like 3 million pairs of genes. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I don't but, think so. <laughs> yeah. And it just highlights that you could be making money. And just because money's coming in and money's coming out, you really need to pay attention to the margins, too, because that's where the money's at. And you make sure that even if you are busy and you're making money, that doesn't necessarily mean you're making a profit. So make sure that the idea is actually making you money, if that makes sense. So, I mean, I want to talk on, now you're talking like margins and profit and stuff like that, because if we're being realistic in the business world, it takes a really long time to make profit in business, unless you already have a transferable skill or some sort of side hustle or something that you've already built up. So like, I don't want to say when's the time to pull the trigger and say to let the idea go, but like, When's the point in which maybe someone should say like, oh, maybe this isn't such a good idea if I'm going this long without profits or like, when should I switch it up if again, I'm still in that negative place? So I'd say if it's getting to where, you know, you can always increase your prices. If you're just trying to go for that volume, then maybe reconsider your strategy on that. But as far as when should you reconsider is if it is a really a question of not being efficient enough and really you just need to be more efficient to be able to make the money. Cause I mean, when we all start doing something where we all suck at it, where we're doing the thing and maybe doing only one or two a day isn't going to happen for you. But if you can get like realistically to where you can do five or six in a day, if whatever it is, then, you know, that's one thing. But if it's getting to the point where it, no matter what, whatever money that you're bringing in is the same as whatever variable cost and fixed expense is the same. And you're not ever actually making money more than you are spending, then that's a different conversation. Yeah, that's extremely risky. And some people who have a very low risk tolerance or risk appetite, or even like you said prior about having a certain situation, whether they're locked into a mortgage or they have certain expenses like student loans, that could really make or break their business if they're not prepared. Or at least anticipating, as you would say, those expenses or the unexpected, which Maybe you could actually touch on that a bit. Like, how can someone prepare for the unexpected when they're in business? Because, right, things happen all the time. And that's just life in general. But 
specifically in business, you know, let's say things are going well, right? You're making a profit, like things are great. And then all of a sudden, you know, that client that you were going to get doesn't work out. The one that was supposed to be all this money, or maybe like, I don't want to say a lawsuit, but like maybe something happens where you have to spend more money because you have to fix a problem or like you have to purchase this new software or something. Like how can someone budget or plan for the unexpected so that when it does happen, it's not make or breaking them? So as far as the budgeting goes, if this is something that could happen, and it's something that maybe is seasonal, maybe not as unexpected. So that's another good thing about the budgeting that when you're, you start running your business, so you can see the ebbs and flows of the business. And that's one major thing as to why someone would need an accounting system and to have the budgets in that way so they could see these trends ahead of time. But as far as preparing for these unexpected expenses, one of the biggest things that you can do is make sure that you have some sort of reserves. If there is a chance that this is happening, then Having that extra money is going to get you much further if, I mean, if you didn't have it, because if, let's say you're some sort of machine and you really need that machine to run, you need to make sure that you have some sort of backup plan. So whether that means having a second part or having the money to, to fix it, that way is, would be key. And that would be part of having a, you know, a really strong plan. As far as knowing these things, you really need to make sure that before you dive in, that you understand the industry and know what kind of risks are out there that could be popping up. Because if you just dive in and you don't really know, and you haven't done a ton of research, there could be anything that you're not thinking of. And that could be, maybe people don't buy at a certain time. You didn't think about this, or you need this special tool. Um, I know people who have candle companies who make most of their profit through the holidays. So October through December, they make all their money basically for the whole year. And then January through August, it's like slow, like minimal sales. So they need to make sure in October through December, they're like locked and loaded, ready to go. They got the product because that's where all their money comes in and they need to budget it for the rest of the year, which is crazy, but it happens. It's the reality of it. Depends on it the does. product. And it happens in accounting too. And I do mostly taxes. Tax season. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I have a very similar issue where Things from February going into April, it's very good. Things are, I mean, I'm having turn away business because there's so much to go on. And then, you know, again in October, but when it gets into December and sometimes in January, it really dries up and there's not a lot going on. So it's really important to understand just to make sure that you have the money to pay the normal expenses to get through, but you also have enough, especially when you have these payroll, because there's nothing worse than getting to the point where you need to pay someone and your bank account is like zeros. But there are ways that you can get around this. And there's, as far as to get funding, you don't always have to bootstrap the thing. That was going to be next, my next question. What's your take on like debt and credit and loans and all that stuff? Because I think a lot of people are afraid of debt, but I think sometimes if leveraged properly can be a remarkable tool, but right, if it's leveraged properly. So can you touch on that a bit? Absolutely. And there's a lot of fear mongering in both ways. There are different kinds of debt. You need to really be paying attention to some of the numbers as far as like your interest rates and the kind of loans. And there is a big difference between going and getting a small business loan from the Small Business Administration, which has a very nice website, by the way. You should go check it out if you're thinking about moving on. There is a difference between having a small business loan and going to a payday lender <laughs> and getting whatever kind of money right away because the interest rates are completely different. The terms are completely different. And you could really set yourself up in a better position by having one as opposed to the other. And it really depends on what you need. So if it's something where you just need funding to get going, something like a loan would be great. If you just need money, I just need a little bit here, but I get it next month. Something like a line of credit would be fine. And it really just depends on 
how you use the money and how you're leveraging it and knowing the difference between something that's predatory and something that's a tool and can help you. Yeah. And I know that there's a ton of that in both spaces, right? Of people who like just signing up for credit cards, right? It's so easy to do that you almost don't think about it. But at the same time, it could be the thing that like I've heard people who have tried to purchase a home, but because they opened a credit card six months ago, whatever, their credit got hit or something, and then they lost, they basically couldn't get the house. And I mean, that's an extreme case, but you know, same thing with people racking up credit cards on some shit that has nothing to do with business, even though it's supposed to be for business. And then when they go to do accounting, they're like, oh shit, can't use that as a write-off, problematic. The interest on credit cards could be somewhere like above 20%. So Oh my God, it's ridiculous at this point. It's like straight up robbery. One of the strategies I've used throughout my whole life, especially when you're younger and you're like broke as shit and have no money is the great thing about people wanting to take money from you and get you on this interest rates is that there are so many credit cards available. And if I was younger and had debt for whatever reason, I would just switch it to a 0% APR credit card and sit on it and pay it slower and then just pay the transfer fee, which doesn't exceed, I don't know, whatever it is, $200 or 10% or whatever one is higher And so then you end up paying less than you would on the interest and you buy yourself more time too, which is amazing. Yeah. And sometimes credit cards can be used effectively and it can be used in a strategy, especially if you're really good about hanging it off this next time. But if you're one of those people that tends to not have the money and it tends to accumulate, having a lot of credit card debt like that could really set you back. And, you know, and if you're a sole proprietor and you don't have, you know, separation of the entities, having poor credit really could set you back in other things as well. Yeah. I guess you would touch on this too between the accountant and the lawyer, but like when you talk about business ownership and formation and LLCs and stuff like that, are there ways in which that us, the individual can be protected against basically right going under defaulting on something like a loan or like, yes, maybe the business idea was working out, but then it goes under and then it's like, okay, they're going to take my home or are we just going to claim bankruptcy? Like what's the difference and how does that even work out? Right. And that would be one of the biggest things as far as why you would want to have these entities as far as like an LLC or not. There's not a whole lot of tax benefit in just having an LLC and running it through a limited liability company. And and I got to tell you that I'm not a lawyer, so. (laughs) No, that's okay. I'm just curious to see another perspective having, you know, you doing taxes and stuff. I'm not a lawyer, so I try to only hit on the tax part. So this is my basic understanding. But having an LLC and having it ran through, the biggest benefit of that is that you do have this extra layer of protection and if your business was to hit rock bottom or some things were to go wrong or if we get sued, it does give you that extra layer of protection in that case. Maybe you might not have to pay back this loan or maybe your protection as far as getting sued, because if if you didn't have this, you know, extra entity, extra structure layered on top, then if someone sues you, they can they can sue you for a lot of things and you could, you know, potentially lose your house, car, whatever. It depends on how bad or how egregious it was. And again, I'm not a lawyer, but that's the difference in having this setup is it does give you an extra layer of protection. Yeah. But it is really cool too to see how like because I used to work at a huge company and it's funny how I actually help support one of the departments was in tax. And so I got to see every tax season like these major, major org charts with all these structures and they have like 20 different entities and this one's an LLC and this one's an S Corp and this one's a C Corp and this one's based, this one's in Delaware, this one's in Toronto, this one's in Cayman Islands. And you see this giant beast of how they just basically leverage the tax system in so many different ways to get the best possible outcome for not only their money, but their protection. And it's like a web. It's so 
Interesting. Like I never, okay, that's the one thing I, I'm not good at numbers, but I loved the structuring and the tax part of that because it got to see that like you can grow your beast, this monster of a business as big as you want, so long as you protect yourself and, you know, the people surrounding you or the people working for you. And that's how you do it. I've seen a lot of that too. And it's, I agree, it's super fascinating just to see the layers of how they've laid this out with the fancy lawyers and accountants and, you know, even having the management here and the workers here, but they're being paid from this entity. People don't realize just how, like, yeah, you might see McDonald's, but if you looked at the work structure of McDonald's, it's like this big old web. Just, I'm, I can only imagine. Yeah. The company I was working for, they had so many different divisions and they probably had thousands and thousands of entities just for one division, not even all of them. Like it was just like so monstrous. If you were to look up, like, right, I'm sure there's, like, systems where you can look up LLCs. And if you were to look up, like, Kylie Jenner for cosmetics or something, you would come up with a bunch of things. But it's the same thing for these giant companies. And a lot of times the names are not relevant to the actual companies. So they might have some, like, you just, it goes so fucking deep, so crazy. You would never, you would never know that it's part of the same monster chain. My understanding is that's how Walt Disney bought up all the land in uh, Florida. Like using different entities? Mm-hmm. He'd have it different names and he had some, like a lawyer go and give him an offer for his land. Because if, I mean, if you went up there and you said, Disney wants to buy your property, it's like, well, I know how, how I'm going to charge him. So having that layer of being anonymous definitely helps in some ways. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, now that we're talking about like entities and different kinds of debt and things like that, obviously like you and I, right, we're the face behind our brands and our businesses, right? We're doing the heavy lifting. So like, how can someone separate their personal and business expenses when it's so fucking like, it's so together? Like, it's so easy for the pieces to get overlapped or like the same credit card being used or the same debit card or whatever it is, or even like taking into consideration what could quote unquote be a deductible when you pay your taxes can get really muddled. So how do you do that? So my biggest advice is that if if you have a legitimate business and you're running it, then you need to have a personal bank account and you need to have a bank account for business purposes. And this could mean different things for different folks. So if you're something like running an Uber business where you're driving for Uber and picking up groceries and stuff like that, then just having a normal regular bank account, but just a different two different checking accounts, one for your business part and then one for your personal and then just paying yourself as you make money is one way to do it. But then as you get into things like LLCs and you have some of these extra structures, you can actually own a bank account through them for those as well. And when you get to that point, it's even more important to separate your business expenses from your personal expenses. So if it's for your business, you definitely need to be using the business bank account so that when you're going through at the end of the year, every month or whatever, and you're doing your accounting, it's much easier to see everything that's in one bank account. And you can justify that saying everything in this one bank account is a business expense that I paid for my business, as opposed to having it all combined. And, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're one of those you people that- print it out and highlight yeah, and do all that exactly. shit, yeah. And if you're one of those people that does it every quarter, I mean, every month, if you've got a lot of stuff going on, it sometimes the descriptions on these bank accounts is not the best. So you're going through and you're figuring out, well, is that business or not? So, and another thing too, if you were to be audited by the IRS and you were to just give them these combined bank accounts, as far as like, this is the proof of what I've you know purchased and it had what's called commingled assets is if you had your personal stuff and your business stuff in there, that's going to be a big mess. And it's going to, the agent is going to nitpick every single thing and questions like, well, are you sure that's business? Cause I mean, there's things like going to Starbucks. If you 
met with someone for business and you bought coffee, that could be a deductible. But if you're going through just the line on a Saturday, getting Starbucks on the way to work or something, that's not deductible. So when you're going through at the end of the year and you see that $5 from Starbucks, like who knows if it really is business? It's hard to tell because, I mean, you're not thinking about that at times. So having those separate bank accounts is very important in that way. Like, what about if you have receipts? Because, like, something I've tried to do is I try to take every receipt for business-related processes, yes, including Starbucks when I have, like, meetings with people. Like, I would just kind of, like, highlight, okay, this is the date, this is the company that I purchased from or whatever, this is the amount, and then write, like, a note on the bottom saying, like, okay, I had coffee with X person or to discuss X thing or this is where I went or this was the travel expense or something. So if that's the case, would that fly or it's still going to be scrutinized by the IRS? Or is it still TBD regardless of what's going on? Yeah. So if that's the case, and if you were to keep the receipts and and be able to write down what you did, that is one thing. But I highly encourage you to rethink (laughs) your process as far as if if it's a lot of expenses and it it could be a whole lot. But but at the same time, if it's only like a few things, you only got a few expenses, you you probably could get away with just keeping the receipts and having a, a really good detail of the things that actually are business. But it does get to a point to where Hopefully your business grows and it it expands. So having that infrastructure too is good so that when it does, you just keep doing what you're doing. You don't have to change bank accounts and all that. It's already in place. Yeah. I mean, I've started doing that. It's just, it takes time. I think a lot of people, especially if they're new to this, maybe they doubt it and they're like, oh, I'll set those things up later when I have more proof of what I'm doing is actually legitimate. And then I'll go back and backtrack. But obviously, right, then you have to put down time. You have to take time out of your schedule to actually do those things. And that can be like, honestly, a pain in the ass down the line of deciphering between the two. I would make another case on a mental aspect because if that is you and you're saying like, oh, I don't know if this is really going anywhere and this is what I'm just trying to start, as opposed to like when you're really setting it up and you have the structures, it's like, no, this is a business. So, you know, maybe there's a mental case where you can say, you know, something clicks like, no, this is what I'm doing. This is what I do. This is how I make money, you know? Yeah. I have found that switching over the mindset of like, quote unquote, this is a cute hobby to like, no, this is a serious business, like switching from that to like a CEO mindset and setting up the business formation and doing all those really specific things has started to make a difference, right? Because it forces you to, you just act more serious and you act more like a CEO versus like a kid having fun. And people, they take notice of that. They respect you more and like you look more legit. It's like if you were to send someone an invoice after speaking with them, they're like, holy crap, like this person has a process. They know what they're doing. They're legit versus me just sending you an email saying, hey, that was great. Like, you know, you can Venmo me. Like, (laughs) I mean, that still works. But the higher, more complex systems you have that make you look legit, the probably the more respect and clients you'll get as a result of it too. And business is smoother, right? Let's just be honest. Absolutely. And if you're getting into where the business process is is very smooth and it's like that too, then there's a difference between, let's say that this person goes and recommends you that's saying, oh yeah, I got this guy. He does taxes on the side to where, you know, comparatively to where, oh, I have this guy and he's, he just started his business and he's very good and he's very professional. Everything is very clean. It's a different conversation between some, you know, your neighbor's friend compared to what feels more like a legitimate business and someone you can actually recommend. And it's not just a hobby. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. You touched on a lot of great things just about like expenses and debt and all that stuff. But can you also talk about deductibles? Because right now that we're on the topic of receipts and what's considered deductible, what can you actually use? And what also is maybe a myth of what isn't actually used as a deductible? Kind of like, you know, myth versus not like debunking a bit about deductibles if you could. Okay. So the IRS uses the language must be ordinary and necessary. So people usually talk about 
writing off a lot of, you know, extravagant expenses. But there is a case that if that is not actually something that's ordinary and necessary to run your business, then that is not deductible. So, you know, you hear things like tax write-off. Well, I mean, is it for your business? Are you actually using it? So if you're just buying it to buying it, then there's not ordinary. You wouldn't normally buy it and it's not needed for your business. But there are lots of things in there that maybe you're not deducting that maybe you could be. So some things like your equipment. So if you had to buy special equipment to, like I had to buy a computer. I had to go and buy a, a nice computer to make sure that everything was running smoothly. So that's something that's deductible. Things like your internet, especially if it's dedicated, but we can talk briefly about a home office deduction that can be deductible. See, like this, uh, if you have any kind of equipment, like the computer that you needed, things like paper clips, things like paper, the little things that you need, those are all deductible. Things like meeting a client in the example where you had a cup of coffee at Starbucks, that's actually deductible right now too. And there's actually changes in the tax code where yes, even on top of that, getting to the meeting to have the coffee is also deductible. One thing that's nice right now, with the uh, there was a recent law that changed the, usually meals are 50% deductible. So in that situation where you went to Starbucks, normally it'd be 50%. But since it is a restaurant, you can actually take 100% deductible on that. And that's only this year and next year. So if, if you're listening in the future, it's 2020, 21, and 2022. You can have that expense. And after that, it's going away. So, so everyone, bring all your colleagues out to get the food because it's going away. That's right. So if you're meeting someone for a legitimate, you know, like either networking or business function. So, I mean, if you're just going with a colleague or like a coworker, that's it's different than, you know, if you're actually going to drum up business somehow, that part is. So it's a great time to, you know, go out and have some food because Nolan's only 50. So and now it's 100%. I'm sure the big four consulting firms and all these places are loving it so they can schmooze their, you know, their high level clients for the, you know, the thousand dollar steak dinner and they're going to get 100% written off. Absolutely. Another thing too that still not deductible, but was along that lines is entertainment used to be 50% deductible, but the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act made it to where it was non-deductible. So right now, if you were to take a client to a World Series game, that would be non-deductible. But if you were to buy food, that would be deductible. So like entertainment part now is, is not deductible. So it's nice to get a little piece of that back. Wow. Is that a new thing? It's a relatively new thing. Because I remember one of the benefits about working at a huge company with the tax team and my capital markets team is that Again, those big four consulting firms or, you know, these big law firms who we would work with on certain projects right after the tax season, they'd be like, hey, let's go to like to a Rangers game and we'll get you box seats and let's do this. And, oh, you want to see Taylor Swift sold? Let's go do it. Or, hey, you want to have omakase? Let's go sit sushi. So cool for free. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the nice things. When, you know, one of the few nice things about having a big corporate job is you got to sit in the nice box seats. And it feels like if you really had a, you know, worked for a really big company, it'd be some really nice seats. Oh, my God. Yeah. I remember seeing like front row at Fleetwood Mac, which was so freaking cool. It was so awesome. So, you know, recently when it was uh, 2017, when this law got enacted, so previously it was 50% deductible. So you could go in and take at least a little, half of it as deduction. But once the tax cuts and jobs act came around, it made it to where it was zero. So you actually see now that there's not as many big corporate boxes because they don't get the benefit like that. In fact, the company I was working for actually dropped their seats. They had seats to a dynamo game that's soccer here in Houston. And they also had some pretty nice seats. They were behind where the George Bush Senior, like right behind him where he seats. They, they wow. were really nice, but Damn. not anymore. 
Wow. That's a shame. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, I guess, from a tax perspective. But I'm sure the ba- the clients are hating it. They're it like, is. Oh. That <laughs> was a really the- nice perk. It was. I felt like the shit. I literally felt like the shit. But anyway, <laughs> back to business. So, you know, I love how you got into just a myriad of things pertaining to business and budgeting and just like, you know, deductibles because I think they're really, really important. But one of the things I like to do with all my guests before I like have a send off is one final gold nugget. If you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? My biggest advice that I give to myself would be don't forget to take care of yourself. A lot of times when I was first starting out, I would you know, make sure that the job is always get done. I mean, if you're working, you should make sure that you're putting in good effort. But I would put working over things that, you know, like family events, like, you know, missed a few weddings or some celebrations because no, I had to have this project that was done at work when in reality, it would have been just fine to go and you could finish it, you know, the next day. And as far as pushing through. And even though you're having these bones, no bones day, I think we've all had the no bones day. Oh my God. I don't, I still don't understand what that means. Is that that dog? Is that what they're <laughs> it talking is. about? Oh my God. <laughs> yes. The pug, the pug, if he, if he falls over, he's, it's a no bones day. And you're supposed to be kind to yourself and he stands up. You're, it's a bones day. and You're supposed to treat yourself to something nice. But in those days where you're not having a very good day and, you know, maybe an allergy is you don't have the spoons or it's just not a good mental health day is being kind to yourself. And it's okay that you're not as productive as you could be. It's take the time, take care of yourself, take care of your mental health and come back the next day and give it all you got again. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I find that the days that I acknowledge the rest and the recovery type of mentality, whether it's physical or mental, is that like the next day is so much more powerful. I get so much more shit done because I gave myself the time and grace to like relax. Absolutely. And the human mind is just, it can't be going a hundred miles an hour all the time. It needs time to take the one step back to take two steps forward. And it needs that. Agreed. So can you let us know, uh, me and the listeners, like where people can find you, if they want to get involved, if they want to check you out, maybe download that freebie you were talking about on your website. Absolutely. So you can find me on brianbillcpa.com. I do have a free template to help you manage your expenses. So if you go to ryanbillcpa.com and scroll down to the bottom, you just got to give me your name and your email address, and it will automatically send you the email with the template. You can use this to keep track of your basic expenses and come tax time. If you were to do this as intended, you would just take the expenses and put it on your Schedule C. It's a great way to practice keeping track of expenses and also keeping track of how you're doing as a business and hopefully makes it a little easier for your accountant or yourself come tax time. But other than that, If you're interested in having a consultation for having your taxes done, you can go online. You can schedule a consultation. It's free to have a consultation. I do upfront prices. I don't work by the hour, so it's by the job. So what you see is what you get, and there's no surprises at the end. And then if you're interested in following me on any kind of socials, I know Gabby will have the links in the bio. I'm on pretty much everything, but Facebook and Instagram are my most active. And follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ryan. And again, to the listeners, you can go to corporatequitter.com. It'll be available at this time, forward slash Ryan dash Beals, and you'll be able to find all his information, his bio, you know, episode overview, all those good things. So thank you so much for being on, Ryan. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I very much enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter podcast. Make sure to check out corporatequitter.com for extended content and additional information about our guests. 
To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five, follow our host Gabby on Instagram or TikTok at she likes to gab. 